Blog Talk Radio. I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see I I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please. America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight we deal with the good, the bad, the ugly, judges within our system, and taking a look at their conduct. That starts here today as we kick off this new season of AJC Radio. Folks, hang on to your seats. We take off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, Samson Riddle, Dennis Merritt, Clint Stewart, William Williams, and the entire AJC radio team. Two young ladies added to the staff in production, Tiffany Stewart and Ari Houghton. They're part of the production team tonight as well. And uh, we're happy to have them here, along with our uh, other research team member, Felicia. Uh, Welcome back. We're going to take off to our new season tonight. And how fitting is this, as we have dealt with folks in our system, uh, we've come up with a new thing for the criminal justice system. We've eliminated two words, and that's criminal justice. And we're going to call it our system, because justice stands afar off. It's not happening too much in this country, uh, but we have good judges. We have good prosecutors, but we have the bad. We have the ugly. We're going to deal with that tonight. Uh, going to one um, uh, one side of that equation is uh, Judge Christine Arguello, uh, famously known for the really misconduct at a very high level in the case of the RP5. We're going to touch on her, but we will be dealing with her and her actions on the bench. Uh, that is absolutely 
horrific when you talk about justice. Uh, and we're going to deal with that. We're going to pull the pages back, folks, and take a look at what this system consists of. She's not the only one. A number of judges have, have crossed the line uh, when it comes to the criminal justice system. Whether you, If you want to talk about racial disparities as well, uh, what African-Americans have been sentenced to horrific sentences. Uh, in a clear difference in, in, in contrast to uh, our, uh, the Caucasian counterparts as well. We've got to deal with that, folks. This is the conversations we have because it should be equal justice under the law. And that simply does not exist in our system today. Um, so we're going to get into that here shortly. Samson, tell us how important it is to deal with the topics that are seemingly difficult for others to discuss AJC Radio never has held back. How important is that that we speak to these issues? Well, I mean, it's absolutely critical. We can't back down from the issues just because it may be difficult for some people to take. It may be difficult for some people to, you know, comprehend or even wrap their minds around. The fact of the matter is, is inequality in this system exists. If we don't talk about it, it's, it's easy for the, this tsunami of society to sweep it under the rug and act like it doesn't happen. You know, we live in a whitewashed society where there are two justice systems out there. One for, you know, Caucasian members like myself and another for pretty much anybody that's darker than us. And the fact of the matter is that ju when judges leverage their power, you know, to behave badly against whomever they choose, whether it be based on race or color or creed or whatever it is, like the fact that they do this and they don't weigh things in the balance and do justice and rule justly according to the letter of the law, we have to, as, a, as an advocacy organization, speak up. And tell it how it is and don't pull any punches. Judge Arguello is definitely one of those people that is, I mean, she's right there at the top of the list. I'm sure the IRP6 is not the first case that she's done this with. I mean, we, if you look at her record, she has a litany of things where she's just gone above and beyond as far as sentencing goes. She's, she's extreme to say the least, and she's in a multitude of other judges around the country that are doing the exact same thing just because they wear a robe. No, without question, uh, critically important that we address it. We're going to be joined at 6.45 Mountain Time tonight uh, by a young lady um, that has taken upon herself, her name is Jamie Miller, to counter and speak out against corrupt judges. Um, she's dealt with it personally. Uh, a, a, a state's a judge, Purpura, violated her civil rights in Baltimore County. We're going to hear her story tonight, what she went through with, with a judge that is uh, that falls under the category of bad. Yes, it is. It, the, the decisions made from the bench in courtrooms all across this country, it is critical that we get that right. If we don't get it right, we have a huge problem, uh, and we're going to deal with that uh, on the other side of the break. So, folks, settle in, call a neighbor or friend, let them know that they can, they can dial into this show. Uh, this is a big one, and uh, as we start 2022, as we have seemingly seen the system get worse, we've seen the system get worse. And we have some good judges. We'll be talking about them tonight as well. But, boy, I'll tell you, you're talking about a lack of confidence uh, in this system is critically clear uh, to everybody. Whether they want to talk about it, AJC Radio will not shy away from it. Hang on to your seats, folks. We'll be right back. This is AJC Radio. How often does our justice system get it wrong? 
convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit. A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation. You can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children as they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. Over a million people sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fear justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help.
50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to 1 out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are 1 out of 3. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated. But one thing is clear. There's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and in federal prisons. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight. Uh, Dealing with the good, the bad, the ugly within our criminal justice system. And again, our system is a terminology that we'll use here at AJC Radio because there is seemingly the, the misconduct in our courts by those that sit on the bench and down is out of control. We now call it the system at AJC Radio, and there needs to be a lot done to that uh, to get things going. And uh, this is critically important that we have this discussion. Uh, And as you know, if you want to go down to police officers that seemingly uh, are in the pocket of judges, prosecutors in the pocket of judges, while the defendants, depending on your social status, uh, sits in a very disadvantage uh, to receive any type of justice in this country. Now, folks will criticize and say, well, we have the best system in the world. I have news for you. No, we do not. We have judges. And David, I'm going to go to you on this one, at least to open the canister, if you will, to the bad judges. We namely named at the top of this show Federal Judge Christine Arguello, regarding the case of the IRP-5 and many more, believe me, as we deal with all three of what we're looking at tonight, we will be visiting uh, piece by piece of what the conduct and the behavior of Federal Judge Christine Arguello has done to this system, uh, has made it far worse than what it ever had to be. Give us your thoughts, David, on what happened some of the things that, that Aguil did that is so outrageous that she still continues to act today in trying to influence cases. 
Well, first we have to acknowledge the fact that of the system. A system is not, justice is not a part of the system. It's a system of procedures relegated to the discretion of uh, the participants in the system, the judges and the prosecutors. It's, so it's not a justice system. If justice comes from the system, it is happenstance, and it's just something that just happens. Justice is actually in the heart of a person. If a person is not, if, if a judge is not just, uh, they're not going to seek justice, or, nor will they uh, apply these procedures fairly. So uh, the system, Judge Arguello is, is a, embodies, uh, what you would call a corrupt judge. She's the embodiment of, of corrupt. And and people can say, well, it went to Washington, D.C. Well, you can't, you can't, they don't even want to talk negatively about a federal judge. Why, why are they above the law? They keep saying these judges above the law. She's the embodiment of corruption, Judge Arguello. People say, well, how can you, we live this. So, and many times in the criminal justice, in, now I'm in this system, uh, we seem to give judges the benefit of the doubt that they're going to rule uh, justly, that they're people of integrity. They're human just like anybody else. And they're applying a, they're running through a bunch of procedures. It's not, the system is nothing but a procedure meal. Um, and that's what you're dealing with. And ju uh, Judge Arguello, you, you really don't have words to say how somebody can do the things she did and does and continues to get away with this stuff because the system is not about justice. It's not about holding Judge Arguello or any other judge accountable. They get held accountable when they do something uh, that affects one of the major political parties in this country. If they do something to the average person, there is no, zero accountability. That goes with prosecutors, police. There's zero accountability uh, with uh judges, prosecutors, and police. Every now and then, when you get some sort of heinous act, like the Derek Chauvin case, then you might see get some justice due to public outcry. But outside of that, uh, you just have a bunch of people assigned to the system in black robes. They're malefactors in, in black robes, and all they do is do things, whatever they really want to do. They say there's a rule of law. There is no rule of law. They apply, they have broad discretion to apply the procedures and rules in any way they see fit. And one final example, I know a, a, a attorney, prominent attorney who, who uh, clerked for a Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals judge. And his words to me, the judge would tell him, well, this is the way I want the case to come out. Just find me the law to support that. So that that's a a prime example of how the system actually works. Americans are snowed. Many people don't even know how the system really works because they haven't been in the system. Uh, and definitely if you're innocent and have to and, and suffer a wrongful conviction, you really see the system for what it is. It is a complete joke. It is, it is a crony exercise and just a system whereby uh, friends of these officials want something done, they're pretty much mercenaries hired to get this type of work done. That's not an exaggeration. That's not hyperbole. It is what it is. 
and as we get deeper into the topic of Judge Arguello and other judges, you'll see the good, the bad, and the ugly. Oh, and I'll tell you what, to, to David, to your point, uh, the saying that a judge must rule uh, in a case most favorable to the prosecution, I still cannot wrap my hands around that one because if, if it's an equal presentation of facts by the defense, by the prosecution, even the theory of a case, if you make the statement, I must rule most favorable, to the prosecution, to the government of the United States. How is anyone then going to believe in a system that when you sit down in the defendant chair, you must rule most favorable to the other side? That doesn't make an ounce of sense. And it, it is, a, it is a, an exact contradiction of what justice is, what fair play is, what, what gives me the same benefits or advantage as a prosecutor, as a defense, to put on a case. And when you tell me that, uh, I am appalled. Because Lamont, isn't that almost opposite? Before they get there, the, the, the cry is innocent to proven guilty. But then when you get in court, they're saying, now you're lying because you're going to believe the prosecution. Prove, uh, prove no, that you're not lying. That's basically what they're saying now. That, that, that is absolutely insane to me. And where is in the light most favorable to the weight of the evidence. Tell you, but, but that's tell serious. You, that, that, that's a balanced approach to if you're actually seeking justice, what did the prosecution present versus what did the defense uh, present and what did the evidence actually show? But then the judge goes further to say, you must weigh the evidence in this case. You must weigh the evidence and rule and, and, rule and find that it... Uh, Beyond a reasonable doubt, you must if the if the if you see that the prosecution of the government has not presented a case strong enough to support these charges or the conviction. Number one, you're not even supposed to go to trial. You're not even supposed to go to trial except that burden is met. So, but then you contradict all of that. The presumption of innocence is is totally thrown out when you say I must rule. In the light most favorable to the prosecution, we might as well shut the courthouse. That's that's the reality. That's the reality, William. Well, you know, the other thing about that is this alignment with the prosecution and the judge. They're basically saying it's basically when you go into the courtroom, it's two on one, because they're basically saying, "Well, that's my prosecutor." I mean, and we're working together on they 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 have this nice. They try to wrap it as if it's not a bias, but it is. And it allows the judge to basically aid and abet the prosecution and steer it in the direction in which they want the outcome That's to the go. I mean, it, it is. And so when you talk about the system, this is a system of manipulation, and, it's a, and it goes, like David said, it's unchecked. No, they, these judges can get away with anything. I mean, we were talking about, we were talking about a case, uh, I think it was a, maybe a month or so ago, and where this, this guy confessed. To a sexual assault of two two underage girls. And this was in New York. He pledged guilty to this, and the and the, he should have got eight years. Was the suggested um, uh, sentencing? The judge gave him eight years of probation, and they cited all kinds. You know, well, this will be harmful to this, this young man, and so forth and so on. And you sit there, and this this case made made national news. And it's like this judge took it upon himself 
Let's just say, you know what? This guy in this case, yeah, he admitted to doing it wrong. But eight years may be a little harsh. Let's give him eight years of probation. This is the discretion that these people have to change people's lives. Yeah, so when they say they're bound to do it one thing or another, simply it's not true. It's just not true. Uh, I want to play a clip real quick regarding this is one of the bad judges. Wheelchair-bound defendant dies after judge ignores request for breathing treatment. Listen to this clip. Now, a Broward judge facing scrutiny after video surfaced showing her berating a woman in bond court. Yeah, that judge has since resigned. But as you can see in that video, the judge seemingly ignoring the inmate's request for medical treatment. Days later, her family says she died at home. Local 10's Madeline Wright is, la- is in Fort Lauderdale with more. This is not at all the type of behavior you'd expect to see from a judge. The defendant's family says they're appalled by the way she was treated when she appeared here at Bond Court. Oh, no, she didn't! The family of 59-year-old Sandra Twiggs in shock as they watched video of her court appearance. Don't say anything beyond what I am asking you. Trust me, I am looking. Ma'am. 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 Twiggs, in a wheelchair, suffered from asthma and COPD. She was charged with a misdemeanor after getting into a fight with her daughter. While in bond court Sunday, Twiggs started coughing. Ma'am, do you need water? Just nod your head. Ma'am, I'm not here to talk to you about your breathing treatment. The family says when she got home Monday, she was so upset she could barely speak. She said they treated me so bad. And she said, all I wanted was some medical attention and some help. The next day, the family found her dead in her room. Okay. <laughs> Public defender Howard Finkelstein wrote a letter to the chief judge at Broward County Court saying, Judge Marilee Ehrlich demonstrated aggressive and tyrannical behavior and revealed her lack of emotional fitness to sit on the bench. To see a person begging you for help and trying to talk to you, and you treat them like a dog for what reason? The family believes the way the judge treated Twiggs and the night she spent in jail might have played a role in her death. If that judge is listening to us and looking at us, I hope you can sleep at night knowing that you killed her. Well, there you have it. Uh, tragic as it gets. Unacceptable. You have a judge yelling at a defendant who is trying to breathe. She is dying in your courtroom. That was the beginning of her death. She goes home from the court, wouldn't listen to, her, to, to, to the cry for help. How do you do that? You don't have to be a judge. But you're in a position that you can stop, you can get medical treatment, have somebody see her, get her calmed down. Perhaps she still lives today. This is the type of behavior and God complex that's in the mind of judges all across this country. And again, it's not all the judges, but the judges that are doing it, look at the consequences of you having this type of complex. It's an inhumane thing to do. To ignore someone crying for help, an elderly lady who cannot breathe, that seems to be the going thing in this country about the breathing issue, and nobody cares.
folks, hang on. We are going to uh, come back. We're going to have more discussions about this issue. Feel free to dial in the 646-200-0628. 646-200-0628. It is time that a voice is heard calling out this conduct. AJC Radio will not hesitate to expose this corruption. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. The United States houses more human beings in prisons than any other country in the world. This is true whether you're counting total numbers or in relation to population size. This wasn't always the case. The number of prisoners in the U.S. began to rise dramatically in the 1970s. So what changed in America compared to other countries? While there are several competing theories, a look at the data reveals that a significant part of the prison growth in the last 40 years has been driven by the war on drugs. Here's the data. By 1980, there were over 315,000 prisoners in state and federal facilities. 57% were violent offenders. 30% were property violators, such as thieves or those convicted of fraud. 5.5% of inmates were in for public order and other miscellaneous offenses. And the remaining 7.5% were nonviolent drug law violators. Ten years later, the drug war had grown, and the total American prison population had more than doubled to over 740,000 inmates. The proportion of offenders in each type of crime had also changed dramatically. The most growth occurred in the nonviolent drug offender population, which grew to a significant 24%. And this last statistic actually understates the influence of the drug war on prison populations. Many studies have shown that drug prohibition causes violent crime by leading to the formation of gangs and cartels. And thus, it is safe to say that the number of violent criminals under prohibition is higher than it would otherwise be. From 1990 to 2000, the drug-driven population growth continued. By 2000, the total prison population had almost doubled again to over 1.3 million inmates. And by 2010, the prison population was up to 1.6 million people. The growth has started to settle and even decline in recent years, but the proportions of offenses are retaining their post-1990 levels. America's unique methods of enforcing drug prohibition seem to parallel its unique prison population. And one has to ask, is our country really better off with so many nonviolent drug offenders behind bars? Are drug users likely to be cured from addiction by being locked up? Has locking up dealers and users lessened the demand for drugs? Certainly, the effects 
on overall usage could not be called a success. And yet we spend billions every year on this war and lock up hundreds of thousands. Surely there must be a less costly approach to addressing drug use in America. When does it stop being partly cloudy and start being partly sunny? Why is the word abbreviation so long? Are English muffins just muffins in England? Why is it called a washing line and not a drying line? Do fish get thirsty? If ghosts can walk through doors, why don't they fall through floors? Do you yawn when you sleep? If prunes are dried plums, how do they make prune juice? Why do doctors leave the room when you change? They're going to see you naked anyway. Do board chefs wear hairnets? How much deeper would the ocean be if all the sponges were taken out? Do you believe someone who says they're a chronic liar? Why is sandwich bread square and sandwich meat round? Life's full of hard questions. Ask one more. You might just save a life. to AJC Radio tonight is it is kickoff 2022 if you will for AJC Radio and what we do in fighting uh, injustice uh, we are excited of the year to come the months to come as we begin to open up the doors if you will that our society has made an attempt to remain closed to uh, bring across this attitude or this a false persona that we are doing absolutely 100% well. 
this system is not well. It is sick with a loathsome disease. People are dying behind this system. People are being locked away for years, life many times, without cause. Uh, it has become a tyrant system. That's unacceptable in this country when we claim to have the best system in the world. We do not. You ought to change your vocabulary, ladies and gentlemen, on that. And when you've lived it, you've walked it, you've seen it. Uh, and as we were talking about Christine Arguello and also this judge that uh, refused medical treatment in her court for a dying elderly woman who needed help. She refused to give it. She refused to even acknowledge there was a problem. This is not a court of law. Doesn't that sound like Derek Chauvin? Absolutely. The woman can't breathe. The official could care less and sit there and let the woman slowly die. Slowly die and suffer when she needed uh, medical attention. That's what I said. That must be the brand of justice in this country right now. I can't breathe. I'm dying. And nobody wants to do anything about it. I tell you what, folks. You have to become outraged because if it's if it happens to one, it can happen to another. If it happens to this person, it can happen to an innocent person somewhere else. It could be you, your family members. You have an invested interest in to cry out against this garbage. You have to because when they, when injustice comes to your front door and it's a son or it's a daughter, it's a mother, it's a father. You'll think a whole lot differently than what you think right now. You need to pay attention. It does, you can Google the injustices suffered in this country. It doesn't take much. Type in injustice by judges. Google it. You'll have an endless page of information uh, where this happens every day like breathing in this country. And we're tired of it. It's just unacceptable. And while the judges sit on a bench in a black robe as referees of a process, you heard of the referees in sports that they threw the game. They let the opponent, other opponent win. No different scenario than in, in our court system. It's exactly the same. And that's why people have no confidence in it. And you can't get offended. Well, why don't they believe in the system? Because it failed. And it has failed. It continues to fail. And we're going to deal with it on this show. Again, uh, it's important that we understand uh, what kind of things we are facing in this country. And here's the problem, folks. The forecast looks worse. Every day, some, you have some type of injustice. Some, some man, that's, and they do a quick, quick uh, reporting of a person that sat uh, for 30 years. He was wrongfully convicted, and they move on. Somebody sat for 60 years. They report it, move on. And they never asked how it happened. How it happened, they're not doing it. We have our investigative reporter on it who dug into this. None of that. Because you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Our society has accepted the belief it does not matter. And finally, to that point, they don't want the system implicated. And the system cannot function without the confidence of the people. So they continue to just uh, whitewash and overlook and just uh, just gloss over anything that a judge or a prosecutor does wrong. Those stories are rarely mentioned in a national media forum because they're there to support and to build up the system and to build up the judges and the prosecutors and to make the system look like it is just the greatest thing since sliced bread. And it's, I promise you, doesn't come close to sliced bread. I'll give you that at all. 
This is this is absolutely ridiculous. And you know what? If you say, well, uh, Lamont, you sound outraged. I am. I've lived the injustice personally. I know family members that lived it personally. I know a family member who is no longer here. LaWanna Banks Clark suffered injustice for no reason and contributed. These people were complicit. Judge Arguello was complicit in the death of LaWanna Banks Clark. Why? They prosecuted an innocent woman, and when evidence was provided to Miss Arguello to show, wait a minute, there's a problem here. It was ignored. It was they turned the other way and refused it. Not only that, uh, the attorney, uh, uh, who somebody talked to an attorney and told him that she had evidence of her innocence. He said it doesn't matter. She's going to get jail time. Judge Arguello is going to give her jail time. So, look, this is reality. This isn't a drama show. This isn't law and order. This isn't NCIS, where it goes the way it's supposed to go according to script. One of Banks Clark suffered, I believe, based upon a conversation with doctors, that she was under extreme stress from what she suffered. Not only was she under extreme stress, what happened to her, what happened to her brother, one of the RP5, David Banks. And you think we are supposed to simply look the other way and say, well, that's just the way it is. That is not the way it is. That is not the way the four, our, our forefathers saw it to be. That is not what was supposed to happen. And anybody that spends a day a day in prison, in jail, wrongfully, is the worst injustice one could ever suffer. LaWanna Banks-Clark spent six months without a record and proof to prove that she was not in any way dishonest, or untruthful. But you expect people to sit back and accept this? And for all the victims of injustice, we are sincerely sorry for the family members that may hear this show of members that have suffered injustice at the hand of this system. It is a tragedy. And we're forever on our high horse as a country of how we treat our citizens, you're no better than a tyrant. No better. Go ahead, William. You know, as you were talking, I was I was reminded of these guys' case. And you think about, you look at that judge, and you're thinking that you're going to have a fair shake. You're thinking that you're going to be heard. And I remember talking to one of the jurors after the case, and he said, we were wondering where was the defense. Where was where was where was the defense? Where were they? At? You know, he said basically looking at this man's face, he was the way he was expressing it. He said, "Where was their side? Where was their evidence? Were they where were they even allowed to, you know, to, to put their evidence forth?" And we showed him. We showed him like letters that that were like here. This was this was what was in the court. They wouldn't allow. But remember, William, we lit like like the one said, David said, we lived this every day. Every time we went to that Judge Arguello was a tyrant in this regard, every time we presented evidence that was in our favor, she said that will not be allowed. That will not be allowed. It was showing that we had evidence 
right. to say that we have an $80 million, we have three proposals on it, that's not allowed. So how can a jury effectively rule when she's not allowing anything in the case to be to, in our defense? And, you, and you're absolutely right because when you, we literally took the letter, the letter and said – and put it in his hand and said, here, read this. This was uh, – I forgot the, the letter, but um, – but anyway, it, he, he sat there and read this on the man's front porch and standing there looking at his face. He said it would have changed his whole view. And you watched his whole countenance change because he's seeing evidence for the first time. No, without question. Without question. And again, it's an ongoing issue. Right now, we're going to change course a little bit, uh, but stay in, on course. Our very, very honored guest, Jamie Miller, is joining us now, a mother of two speaking out about a judge that she, and also ha- created a website called My Truth, Our Justice, where, where she tells her story. And right now, we are very happy to have her. Jamie, are you with us? Yes, I am. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule tonight. Uh, as you can hear, the, uh, the fire has already started on this show uh, in regards to what these judges are doing. I want to give you an opportunity uh, to share your story. Uh, what happened to you in regard to a judge? Because uh, we have to deal with it. Because people put these judges on pedestals that they can do no wrong, but that's not the truth. It's not the reality. As I said moments ago, uh, the people that have lived it need to tell their story. So welcome to our show. I'll give you the floor to introduce yourself to our um, to our listeners and tell us what happened and where are you in this in this conversation. Thank you so much. Um, I'm Jamie Miller. I'm actually a mother of three, but my daughter's an adult, and she's not a part of this case. Um, judges everywhere are, have way too much power, and in family court, um, they lack the training for trauma and abuse, and it's just absolutely terrible. Um, so I'm 41 years old. My boys are 6 and 10. I've been a stay-at-home mother their whole life with no allegations against me, no negative incidents. Um, my ex-husband, Mr. Miller, is 65, and he's a very wealthy businessman. He owns two successful companies um, and is very busy. And tra- he travels, and he wasn't there a lot of the time the kids were growing up. Somehow, just recently, he was awarded sole custody of the children with primary physical Um, and I only get to see my boys every other weekend and a couple hours on Wednesday now. Uh, The judge, Judge Sephora, who is specially assigned to the case, uh, which is my ex's request, um, she ordered that I pay my ex $4,200 a month in child support, which is 100% of my alimony that I received. It's 24 times the amount that my husband makes, or my ex-husband makes. Uh, I, I, just, I don't know how that's in the best interest for the kids for me to be penniless and not be able to provide for them. Um, I gave up going back to school to be a stay-at-home mom. Are you there? Oh, I am. I'm sorry, I broke up. Um, no, it's okay. okay. I gave up. I'm sorry, can I keep going? Yes, no, I guess we're losing you here and there. Are you on speaker of any kind? On a speaker phone? Yes, Yes, I apologize. Is that better? No, you're okay. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Um, I gave up um, 
everything to be a stay-at-home mom, which is what I wanted to do, which my husband, my ex and I agreed on. Um, he, so how, I'll try to make this short. How this started was he left me across the country in Seattle, drained our accounts. He chartered a private jet um, to Florida, and he picked up the children, flew them back to Maryland, and he hid them from me for a month. I had no idea where they were. I missed my youngest fifth birthday and last day of preschool. Um, he has had police officers following me. Um, he has bribed witnesses. He makes CPS cases go away. He has four large law firms representing him. Um, Judge Popora allowed him to present falsified evidence without following the Maryland rule of procedure. I've asked her to recuse herself twice. Um, I have a federal lawsuit against her. Uh, my ex has infiltrated my security system and Judge Popora allowed videos to be played at trial illegally obtained from my security system. Wow. Uh, he has admitted yeah, he's had he's admitted to having Baltimore County and Howard County police officers um, follow me, sit outside my house, harass me. Um, he's put a tracker in my car, bugs in my house. Um, he's been arrested twice for domestic abuse in 2012, um, which was had an eyewitness and was caught on video. Uh, the recent was three assaults against me and the children. He gets off of everything, and Judge Bavora just ignores it and literally said in her ruling that he has no negative evidence against him. With um, all of this information, and, I didn't mean to interrupt oh, you. Yeah, uh, oh, no, you're fine. Yeah, and it's, it's a lot. It's more and more. There's so many allegations against him. But the, she will not listen to the children. Um, the second emergency hearing is when she ended up giving him sole custody and took all my visitation except one day a week away um, based off me trying to protect the children and protect my property. Um, so I'm going to skip over that. Um, it's just been horrible. That I, the, the double standard has been outrageous. It, it's uh, it sounds like and see this is the problem justice we've heard from somebody justice is something that's bought and paid for it's not about what the facts are it's not about what um what is the evidence as we were talking about moments ago uh judges can be bought and if you can be Absolutely. bought in any system the system is irrelevant because if it can be changed with the change of money, and you see all of these issues, domestic violence with this guy, uh, taking your kids, and they just look the other way. Completely. Ignore evidence. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I would just and ignore evidence. They look the other way, and they just ignore blatant evidence. That's unbelievable to me. Yeah. So, uh, Jamie, where are you now in the process? Are things still at the place where they are now, where this abuse continues by the court? Is it still there? Are these things still yeah, happening? Right there. 
they are there. And unfortunately, I my I'm trying to do everything I can, but but because she is specially assigned, I everything I have to file goes to her. Um, I just there was an incident recently where the children spoke up. I'm not sure who called, but somebody called CPS and the children were speaking in school about these new allegations. Um, he took them to Puerto Rico, apparently, with this new girlfriend he has, who is a drug addict prostitute. And the children spoke up at school. They called CPS. CPS um, spoke to both the boys. And there was a lot of allegations of drug use, drinking and driving, um, just a lot of inappropriate behavior. I filed wow. an emergency for emergency custody and a, a modification of custody. This was about four weeks ago, and a judge is supposed to answer um, an ex parte emergency within 24 hours, and she has not responded. She completely ignored me. Okay. So you've heard so nothing I, back? No. And, and my, my poor children, children are suffering. I can hear that. I can hear that. This is what we're going to do, um, Jamie, as a just cause. Uh, we happen to get involved in some of these things. We're more than happy to send a letter to that judge asking questions, uh, if you're okay with that, and we'll talk offline about it, but this is what advocates are supposed to do. Judge, why are you doing this? Why have you not answered? We have a platform where we can speak to it. So I'd like you to uh, send over the information to the young lady who contacted you uh, to be on this show. Send all the information to this judge, uh, location, courtroom, division, Whatever's there, we're going to reach out and do our very best as an advocate uh, to get something moving here. Would would you be fair yes. in accepting that? Absolutely. I will take all the help I can get right now. Okay. And I'm so sorry that you have dealt with that. Let me see if any of our panel has any questions for you as far as what you've dealt with. Dave, Dave go ahead. And I just have a comment. Uh, Ms. Miller, I'm so sorry that this is happening to you. This is outrageous. I mean, when you talk about how – the Department of Children and Services have seen that the children are in danger and still nothing is being done. This is inconscionable to see that this is happening. When you have, um, I see in your profile here that it talks about how you've had police harassing you and your advocate. That just makes no sense that this is that you have somebody that's that powerful taking a situation and pushing it against you. I am so sorry that this is happening to you, and I really hope that that this gets resolved quickly for you. Thank no, absolutely. You yeah, and are you have you contacted any state um, representatives as far as uh, politicians, Senate or Congress people in your state to ask them to do I something? Yes, I've literally emailed every. I've even made email politicians that have nothing to do with this, but just I just maybe somebody would listen to this. And um, some got back to me, some didn't. I even um emailed uh Governor Hogan's office. Um, the ones that did get back to me, I think, and even um, media outlets, they hear family law and they shut down. And it's mm -hmm. not. This isn't just about family law. I don't like the decisions. Um, the kids are being harmed. The the system is just abusing me and failing me and rights are being violated. There's corruption. Um, they're not, so no, I haven't gotten anywhere with that. I've tried to contact media outlets. Um, I did contact the, my ex tried to bribe one of my witnesses. So I was able to talk to an FBI agent. 
um, and he has been involved for a, for about a year, but they kind of keep things hush-hush and they call and check in every few months. But, I mean, they have been working behind the scenes with that. Okay, and this is a, uh, bribe, a bribery that was offered by your ex to a witness? To one of my witnesses, yes. I don't want to give any names because I don't want to put any details okay. up. No, but that, right now. that's no understood. Uh, that's a crime. Yeah. That's a crime. crime. You can't do it. At least that's what they yeah. tell you. They tell you, oh no, they can't get away with that, and they continue to get away with it. Um, Kendrick, and I think that's uh, the this is the biggest problem with the system is you're actively seeing abuses of power by the court, and there's no recourse. And then you, your your only recourse they'll tell you is, well, let the system finish its course, and you're going to go through appeals, and you go to all the stuff. But the damage is being done, and it's done over and over again, especially when you have to do a complaint, and the complaint goes to the judge that you're complaining to. That's not that's that's just not sensible in any sort of thought. I mean, there should be a way, and I think that's one of the biggest holes in our system is there's someone actively abusing their position where do you go i mean where where can you get help i mean your really only recourse is to get it out to the public and try as best as you can to make this outcry and and that's a, a monumental deal but it's just I, I feel for you because you don't see how how many holes are in the system until you're facing them until it's 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 against you and then now you're you're screaming, 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 and it's like, well, everyone's kind of like, yeah, you know, you, you're, you know, sour grapes, and that's not the case. Correct. That's very difficult. And now um, I did have an attorney in the beginning, but now I am representing myself against four large law firms. So, and you're right, there's nobody else to go to, and everybody is telling me, well, I can appeal it, but an appeal can take a couple of years. In the meantime, my children are suffering. Um. And this judge, if somebody would listen, has she didn't let me testify at my hearing. That's and what was her reasoning? What was, what was her reasoning behind that? Do you know? Um, so during I I got on the stand when it was with my attorney um, during my case in chief, and I testified for the first seven. I testified for seven minutes. She cut me uh the best interest attorney who is convoluted and all in the, this is another thing it's not just the judge it's the best interest attorney it's the court psychiatrist it's it's a whole circle of people involved but um the best interest attorney stood up and said i don't think we need to hear from this miller um we already know all this and judge papora said she agreed so my attorney went to go on. Oh, Judge before said she agreed, and I can talk about the present day. Um, and She's my telling you what to testify to. Correct. So I objected myself because my attorney wouldn't even object. And then she went on to say, um, like, we don't need to hear this. Uh, we already know that Mr. Miller testified to it. Um, for, for hours, he testified to his side of the event. So I never got to say my version of the events. And then in her ruling in the custody hearing, she literally, every single thing that my ex or his attorney said, she put in the custody ruling like it was gospel, like it was fact. Doesn't even know there's another side to it because I was unable to tell that. Wow. 
That's un- that's unbelievable uh, to me. And I, yeah, I presume this. Go ahead. Go ahead, Jamie. I was just going to say there was an incident um, story when um, at, when I was being questioned by his attorneys, where she jumped in and she cross-examined me, which is not allowed, with his attorneys, badgered me, told me I said something I didn't say. It, it was a complete nightmare. And your attorney did nothing to object to your. My attorney did nothing. My attorney objected one time during a four-day trial, and that is when I need him. So he didn't. Uh... Oh, wow. Correct. So there was a there was a there was a final resolution to the case then, right? So were you Correct. just? What was that? That is that was just uh, January fourteenth that came out, and that's when. Well, he had had sole custody based on emergency hearing um, last February, but it's sole custody. I have every other weekend, and I am ordered to pay him 100% of my alimony and for child support. I have to sell the family home. Oh, and I also am ordered to pay a part of his attorney fees, his four high-profile attorneys, um, two of them, which are business attorneys that were at custody hearings. I'm not sure why I have to pay for them. I don't think that's fair nor reasonable. And he literally makes 24 times the amount of my alimony a month. And, and you're paying 100%. And I'm paying 100% of my alimony. I have no income. I have no career. I've literally been a stay-at-home mom. My daughter is um, 25 years old. I've been a stay-at-home mom my whole entire life. It's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. And... uh we're going to do whatever we can to get involved as an advocate, uh, send some letters out. Um, I will do that personally uh, and try to find some answers. I'll have our team actually look into it as well. Uh, but the is the case in appeal right now? I just noted the appeal, and I also um, – I, I, you can do a reconsideration. You have 10 days from the final judgment to do a reconsideration. So I am working on that, which I am going to do, but it goes in front of her. So I also uh, put in a motion for a new trial. After the final hearing, you can do a new trial and a reconsideration. She denied the retrial. Um, and I'm going to do the reconsideration, so I follow the steps. But I, I honestly don't have much hope for that. Right. Uh, because the system is set up to uh, – um, yeah, they're doing this horrible. This is horrible. But uh, we are definitely going to be in touch. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, Jamie, you have a few more minutes to spend with us. I'd like you to uh, give some information out. Who, how can people contact you if they want to help uh, and get involved? Uh, I can get that information from you. And uh, we will be respectful of your time this evening. Is Will that work for you? Absolutely. I can. I'm free all evening. Okay, so do you have more points that you'd like to point out of what this judge did? We'll give you the floor to do so. Uh, well, there, there is um, the court. I keep reading about these cases, and in the beginning I was reading about the court corruption. I was like, I was thinking, oh, this is terrible, and now I'm actually living it, um, where it's a circle of people. It's not just the judge. It's not just the opposing counsel. Um now we have the best interest attorney, guardian at light, our best interest attorney, depending on what state you're in. You're in. And um, the court psychiatrist, um, I, so they're, you know, it's typical in these cases where they go after the one parent and they say they have mental health issues and 
there's all these issues. I've had five doctors that I've seen for years um, with excellent credentials uh, testify or write letters for me saying that I'm fine fit to be a mother. I have a little bit of anxiety, but I have diagnosed with any personality or depression, anything, not that that would matter. People are in the comparant fine, but no mental health issues whatsoever. And um, the judge ordered the court psychiatrist to do a evaluation. The court psychiatrist talked to me for 45 minutes and came to a conclusion that I have uh, borderline, uh, I have personality disorders, that I am not a fit parent. And during this interview, he was complete, the majority of the interview, he was so inappropriate. He asked me about surgeries I had. So I told him about medical surgeries and he said, oh, is that it? And I said, I had a mommy makeover after three children. And he said, what does that entail? And I started to feel um, uneasy about it. And then he continued to go on and ask me um, about my breasts. Do I like my breasts? Do I like the results? I just couldn't believe it was happening. And I thought maybe there was a reason that he was asking these questions. But later on, when I talked to my dad, I'm sorry. I want to make sure I heard you correctly. He asked you what question? Um, he asked, it's like he knew that I had the surgery because he did talk to my ex before. He asked me if I had any other surgeries other than the medical surgeries. And I did, I had a, I had a mommy makeover, which is, you know, plastic surgery. And I said, yes, oh, I, I didn't really want to go more into it. And then he asked me, did I get my breast done? Did I like my breast? It was, it was just really weird. And that was the majority of the 45 minute interview. So and- for him to come to a conclusion that I wasn't a fit parent and I had a personality disorder, doctors saying the contrary. Right. It's just outrageous. And was this a court uh, employee? It, yeah, it's a court um, psychiatrist that the judge ordered. All right. Forward his name to uh, our friend who's, who brought you to this show as well. I'm going to take a quick break. Get your thoughts together. We're going to give a final close to uh, your interview tonight. I appreciate you so much for having the bravery to do so and to come forward. Uh, yeah, absolutely un- unacceptable. There's nothing to do with the case. Uh, and you ask those type of personal questions. It is beyond inappropriate. And in the, in the time in which we live in this country now, uh, he needs to be exposed for what he did. Because if he did it to you, what other women is he doing it to? That's absolutely outrageous to me. Uh, Give us a moment. We will be right back. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, make no mistake about it. uh, You see these type of scenarios on TV law shows. Jamie is a real person who has suffered a multiple of things here. We're going to deal with it on the other side of the break. And we're going to close out with her, give her an opportunity Uh, to give her final thoughts of what can be done, what we can do. Uh, Just Cause, AJC Radio has just gotten involved, and uh, that's what we do. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. There are no loose ends in TV procedural dramas. At the end of the hour, the bad guy always gets what's coming to him. Unfortunately, the real world is a lot more complicated. 
We know from the work of the Innocence Project and other organizations in the Innocence Network that the system doesn't always get it right. According to the National Registry of Exonerations, since 1989, nearly 2,000 people have been exonerated of crimes they didn't commit. What people don't realize is a good number of those people pleaded guilty to crimes even though they were innocent. In fact, in nearly 10% of the nation's DNA exonerations, people pleaded guilty to serious crimes and agreed to serve significant prison time because the system is stacked against them, especially if they are poor and people of color. That's right. The stakes are so high that we have innocent men and women agreeing to serve long prison sentences. A system that puts that much pressure on people to plead guilty is a problem. Visit guiltypleadproblem.org to learn more about the men and women who are pressured into pleading guilty to crimes they didn't commit. And join us in demanding that our elected officials do something to protect the innocent people who get caught up in a broken criminal justice system. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call 1-855-529-4252. That is a just cause. And we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay Call 1-855-529-4252. It is time, and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today. I wanted to be in the military since I was a a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said, I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. you got to find that link with somebody that'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. Because I'm 16, I can't drive at night. Because I'm 16, I can't work past 10 o'clock on a school night. Because I'm 16, I can't get a cell phone contract without my parents. Because I'm 16, 
I can't get a flu shot without my mother's consent. At 16, I'm not old enough to watch an R-rated movie alone. Because I'm 16, I can't buy a lottery ticket. I can't vote. I can't drink. I can't smoke. I can't join the military. Because I'm 16, I can't sit on a jury, but I can be tried as an adult. I can get a lifetime criminal record. If I get arrested, my parents don't have to be notified. Because I'm 16, my mother had to sign this consent form so that I could participate in this video. But I can go to an adult prison. But I can go to Rikers Island. But I can be sent to Attica. My name is Michael Corriero. I was a judge for 28 years in the criminal courts of the state of New York. New York is one of only two states in the entire nation that it automatically tries children as young as 16 as adults. We need to change that. Last week, my father sent me to my room. Next week, a judge could sentence me to an adult prison. We need to judge children as children. It's time to raise the age of criminal responsibility in New York. History is important because it shows where you're coming from and where you're going. Type 2 diabetes is something that runs in my family, which means I'm at risk. In fact, one in three American adults are at risk for developing type 2 diabetes. And knowing this, if I do nothing, that family history becomes my family's future. And my family is too important to me for that. Take the risk factor assessment today at AskGreenNo.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight, dealing with a huge problem in this nation with judges. We have found thus far, in a very limited window that we've been on the show tonight, that there is a huge problem of injustice in this country. We've been joined by Jamie Miller. Her story is heart-wrenching. Uh, what has happened to her, we are, as an advocacy organization, intend to get involved uh, to contact the courts, to contact anybody we can as advocates to advocate for Ms. Miller. Uh, this is outrageous. I have never heard uh, such recommendations coming from judges with a gentleman that was asking about body parts of Ms. Miller. That is, that is uncomprehendable to me. And the fact that he did it feels like he could get away with it. That's the sore evil that he felt okay in doing it. Ms. Miller, are you with us? Yes, I am. Okay. I want to say to you that uh, I'm so very sorry. I speak for all the hosts, I believe, on this show. Uh, outrage. Uh, not only what this gentleman did, but the fact the entire process has failed you the entire process you've asked the judge to recuse herself uh, again they go back to this god complex i don't have to do anything yeah you do yeah you do you have a situation where the ex uh, kidnapped your kids took your kids you had no idea where those kids were only a mother could begin to understand 
that type of uh, cruelty. This is cruel. Just to realize that money in this world and Judge Papora, in my view, was bought and paid for by uh, Miss Miller's husband. I just can't see it any other way. Um, they're tied into these political and money circles, and they hire judges, literally, and prosecutors as mercenaries to do their bidding. Uh, so they're they're uh, they're pretty much hired uh, killers, hired destroyers of people's lives, and I just gotta believe uh, they're on the take. And there have been other instances of judges being bribed. No, I agree with you, David. This is uh, uh this is unbelievable. We do have Maria who would like to make a comment. Um, she's part of, I believe, Miss Miller's Facebook uh, uh, exposed corruption. Uh, let's bring her on. Uh, I, pres I presume, Miss Miller, you know her. I, I yes, I, it's actually I um I reached out to uh, other parents that were going through the same issues that had okay. Judge Papora. They were complaining about oh. it online, and that was one of the women. Good deal, Maria. You with us? Uh, well, this is uh, Mara. <laughs> oh, it's Mara. They had, no. they handed me a card, uh, Maria. Yeah. So my apologies. Yeah, well, Mara. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay, Mara. Coming, um, yeah, I, unfortunately, I, I feel for you uh, about the former case, the case that you just exposed. Um, unfortunately for me, I have been a victim of corruption for a long time in the San Diego family uh, uh, court system. Mm -hmm. And um, the first thing that happened was that um, family court services uh, a long time ago, because my kids are adults now, uh, gave me 93% custody and gave my ex-husband 7%, okay, with uh, supervised visitations. But magically, he uh, got the judge to erase the supervised visitations, and his custody changed from 7% 7, from 7 to 33% and mine to 77. And he uh, he's a drunk driver. Uh, he has been driving drunk for years, you know, exposing my children to uh, getting killed in an accident. Yes. Fortunately, uh, they didn't, you know, get in an accident, and my kids didn't die. Um, but, um, you know, I kept the house until my children, uh, turned 18 and my ex-husband, um, who is a corrupt, uh, California lawyer, he, uh, I, I mean, I don't have proof, but he probably slept with the judges or, um, paid them off, paid bribes. Like I say, I don't have any any evidence, but uh, he got um, crafted laws to steal um, uh, child and spousal support arrears, and um, and then uh, he got uh, an order to sell the house without notifying me with a fake proof of service, and the last draw was 
that um, because I went to so many judges in the San Diego uh, family law system that the last one, um, uh, Judge Patricia Radikin, uh, threatened me in the um, settlement conference, supposed settlement conference, on which my ex-husband was uh, half an hour late. She threatened me to throw me in jail and leave me with nothing if I did not sign her stipulation. Uh, she helped my corrupt ex-husband uh, to steal over $100,000 in child and spousal support arrears and half of the sale of the family home. And this is the uh, same my, judge? This is the same judge? Well, uh, the judge that's supposed to take care of me, she threw the towel and sent us to another judge who's supposed to be an expert. And what this supposed expert did was to threaten me to throw me in jail and to leave me with nothing. <laughs> what do things sit in the case now? Where are things right now in the case? Well, um, I did an appeal, and I hired a lawyer. The lawyer mm -hmm. just stole my money and did nothing for me. And uh, and the appeal judges agree with him and told me, you know, in a few words that I was crazy and that I, you know, they, okay. um, they sided with him. Uh, my ex also illegally evicted my two adult children and my mother who need a uh, hip replacement. She still has not gotten her hip replacement. And without eviction orders in their names, he stole all our personal property. And I have to endure years of uh, judicial harassment and domestic violence that well, caused me to lose two jobs. I, I don't have a job right now. I lost my home. I lost everything well listen you know? i want you to know that we as a just cause will since this has been brought to our attention all of it uh, we will be in touch with you uh and we will uh do our very best to uh to uh get behind you and thank you so much maria for calling uh so it sounds like to me um jamie this is a ongoing issue uh that we're dealing with uh now in this country um and this is something we have to look at. What I do want to give a a uh, direction uh, to some of the callers uh, that are in queue right now dealing with the corrupt judges. I'm going to ask that you call back next week as we're getting up against the clock here a little bit. And we will be continuing our show on corrupt judges and things that are happening within the system. Uh, so please uh, take a note of the number that you received. The number is at the web website as well as at AJCRadio.com. Um, and the number, uh, I'll give it to you guys again uh, verbally, is 646-200-0628, 646-200-0628. And we're going to be taking your calls next week uh, early on in the show so we can continue to reach out and see what we can do as an organization to help. Uh, Ms. Miller, did you have a closing statement you want to give our listeners, uh, how they can get in touch with you if they can help? Um, and uh, we are going to do our best, again, as I said earlier, to get behind you and see what we can do to bring it into this injustice. Um, okay, thank you so much. Um, I, I, you did mention my website, which is um, mytruthourjustice.org. And if I could, um, I could use any help or advice, my email is jmiller12 
gmail.com. Um, and just thank you very much for giving me this opportunity. No, you're very welcome. We appreciate that. And again, our thoughts and prayers are with you. Uh, and we'll, you'll hear from us definitely offline. Uh, the young lady that talked to you earlier today got a hold of you. She will be back in touch gathering that information. We will post it on our website uh, as well, that if anybody knows of any way to help you, please reach out to you. We have no problem doing that as well. That will be at AJCRadio.com, okay? Okay, great. Thank you so much. All right, Ms. Miller, good luck to you. And again, what you will hear from us, okay? Okay, perfect. Thank you. All right, take care. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a quick break, come back with our final segment of the show. Uh, 646-200-0628, injustice running rampant in America. And where, the, where is it coming from? The bench. Judges out of control. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should they ever be faced with, especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation. You can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, one 855 529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. Mass incarceration means that we've got a very high rate of incarceration historically, comparatively. And the other thing is the rate of incarceration is so high, so socially concentrated, we're no longer incarcerating the individual, but we're incarcerating whole social groups. The rate of incarceration now is about five times higher than it was historically. Historically, it was 100 per 100,000. Now it's about 500 per 100,000. If we look at prison, if we add jail to that, it's about 700 per 100,000. Nowhere in the world incarcerates as much as we do. We've seen extremely high rates of exposure to the criminal justice system for African-American men with very low levels of schooling. So if we think about black men who were born in the late 1970s and who were growing up through the American prison boom of the 1980s and the 1990s, the chances that they're going to serve time in state or federal prison if they dropped out of high school is about 70%. So going to prison for that group of black men with very low levels of schooling, that's become a normal life event. And that's really only happened in the last 10 years. 
we're at this point now where there's about 1.2 million African-American children with a parent who's incarcerated. That's about one in nine. The research shows the kids who experience parental incarceration have missed school achievement, they have behavioural problems, depressive symptoms, acting out. And there's also evidence that these kinds of negative effects associated with parental incarceration are concentrated more among boys than among girls. And there's a very real risk here that incarceration becomes an inherited trait. The underlying issue is we've chosen prison as a way to respond to that problem of crime. And there are a whole variety of ways that we could have chosen to respond to that problem of crime. We've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty. And we've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty for a historically aggrieved group whose liberty in the United States was never firmly established to begin with. I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm a sister. A registered nurse. I serve my country in the United States military. I'm your neighbor. I sit next to you at church. And my child was arrested, held in custody, questioned without my knowledge, exposed to violence, witnessed to rape, placed in solitary confinement, unable to call or see me, shackled to a wall, beaten, sentenced as an adult at age 17, sentenced as an adult at age 16, sentenced as an adult at age 15. We felt lost, isolated, ostracized, misjudged, terrified, and in the absence of all hope, my child took his own life. And then I found the Alliance for Youth Justice. They gave me the support and resources to get through one of the most difficult times in my life. Now I know I'm not alone. And neither are you. Now we have a voice. Now we We have have power. power. In numbers. In numbers. In numbers. We We can make a difference. There are approximately 2 million children in the juvenile and criminal justice system in this country. These are the faces of those families. If you were the family member of a child who has been in the justice system, or if you are someone who supports this movement and is ready to make a difference, visit the Campaign for Youth Justice at www.campaignforyouthjustice.org. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight, as we have, boy, we've opened a can that we got a lot of information we're going to be going on here in the next few weeks, dealing with the issue of judges in this system. Uh, You simply don't have enough time uh, to go into all of those. Next week, we're going to start the show and hopefully have an opportunity to have... um, uh, the judge from Rhode Island, uh, his name, I believe, is Judge uh, Caprio. Uh, I have never um, come across a judge. We had a lot of bad issues tonight with judges, and we're going to get into that more. Uh, we're going to get ready to play 
uh, a clip of this judge uh, as we preview him. And hopefully our intent is to offer him, present to him rather, the H. Lee Serekin uh, uh, Gavel of Honor uh, Award, I believe, well-deserving. If you look at Judge Serekin and the things he accomplished, the things that he did uh, is overwhelming. And so believe me, if we present that award to you, uh, you've had an impact uh, on us, our organization, and uh, we're going to play a clip. Uh, he's known as the compassionate judge. Um, Frank Caprio, he's out of Rhode Island. I did have the opportunity to talk to his son uh, about a year ago. We've been reaching out over the last couple of weeks prior to coming on the air uh, to get him on the show. As you can imagine, this type of YouTube sensation uh, and the people that are taken with him, his schedule is very, very uh, pressed. Uh, but we're going to do our best. That we're still trying to get a hold of him uh, and get this done. Let me play a clip real quick for you of this judge. Let's hear it. Ticket was issued at 9:59. There's a right. 9:59 and 58 seconds. And you can't park there until 10 o'clock. And you violated the city ordinances. These are the city ordinances, Inspector Quinn, that she violated. That point, that point two will get you every time, Judge. People are so accustomed and conditioned to the institutions of the government coming down, you know, hard on them without regard for any personal situations. You know, life is difficult at best. Because my son was recently killed last year. So they got my check because he had old money. I'm going to reduce this to $50. How much time do you need to pay it? I have to leave them. That's not going to leave without any money, is it? I'll leave it with $5. Thank you. I'm not going to leave you with $5. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to, I'm going to dismiss everything. I am particularly sensitive when youngsters come into the courtroom. Because I think that the conduct of a jurist in the presence of youngsters can shape their thinking in ways that may affect their future. Particularly their attitude toward the institutions of government. Your mom is charged with parking on the sidewalk. Okay? And that fine is $100. So you you have not had breakfast today. Thank you. Oh. Well, suppose I make a deal with your mom, okay? That if she buys you breakfast when you leave, that I'll dismiss, the, I'll dismiss it. Is that a good deal? <laughs> and I think I should take into consideration whether somebody is sick and whether their mother died and whether they have kids who are starving and whether... All of those real life situations, you know, are so important to me. Right? Words, I don't wear a badge under my robe. I wear a hat under my robe. Morning, Pasquale. My daughter babysitted for you. Your daughter what? No, my daughter, my, my sister. Back in uh, on Toby Street. Toby Street. Yeah, years ago. And hey, what about her? 
My sister had babysit. Oh, you used to oh she used to babysit for me. Yes, Your Honor. Yeah, see, you never should tell me that stuff. Now I I can't give you a break. Oh, I'm not asking for you. So, number one, I know your uncle. Now your, baby, your sister babysat for her, so I have to give you like the full fine here. That's fine. Because if not, I'd be, so I have to uh, recuse myself. Uh, so I'm going to rely upon Inspector Quinn's uh, recommendation. She contacted the court prior to today, Your Honor, and said that she does believe there was one payment you still owe. Inspector <laughs> Quinn thinks your sister, uh, I'm o I owe your sister some money that we haven't paid her. It's between you and her. <laughs> uh, what do you want to tell me about this? Uh, I've had some financial difficulties in the past uh, few years. And uh, I did try to make an attempt to pay one of them, and I did. I guess I did pay it late, and it was... Oh, one of these was paid. paid. All right, it was paid. Uh, All right, I got it. I got it. $30. Thank you, Your Honor. Well, there you have it. Judge Frank Caprio out of Rhode Island. You, you get to a point of being at a loss for words because this is a true judge. A true judge. Um, um, and the compassion, he's known as the compassionate judge. And people say, well, he's a compassionate judge. He has a reputation. Well, guess what? If we had a little more of that in this country, I guarantee you we, our prisons wouldn't be as full as they are today. Uh, your thoughts on Judge Caprio Dennis? That just listening to that that uh, clip uh, shows that he is truly compassionate, and I mean he really got involved with the uh, litigants, and I mean it was just awesome how he, you know, you know, brought down you know their charges or even just dismissed them all out, and that shows you a judge that cares. And like he, he really got involved with the little child. I'm telling you, these days you don't have judges with compassion. It's all about a win, 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 win. You lose. But in this case, as you can see, this judge, awesome. All I got is good things to say. That's 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 unheard of. But it's great to hear. Well, the statement you heard from the judge is that he he didn't wear uh, a badge, I think, of some sort under his under his robe. He wore a heart. Exactly. Uh, we've lost that in this country. We've lost it. Uh, why is he so popular? Why do people love this judge? Not sitting in a position to get over. There, it is so rare. That's why it's gone viral. He's gone viral since he's been on the internet. And that's because, and it is a shame that compassion is so rare, it becomes a viral situation. Well, sadly, they've lost humanity. They become almost like mindless automatons. All they care about is the looking at the cold written procedures and that's all they really care about they don't look at human beings in front of them they pay lip service to it but many judges just they're just there to, it's like you said it's a factory you're you're just on the factory you run you through the procedure and whatever happens after that we really don't care what happens to your life and that that's that's a sad commentary and i'm going to get your comment dave but what an outstanding gentleman uh that has the heart to do what is right um, this is very, very important uh, that we pay attention uh, to the good as well as the bad. The bad is 
seems to be overtaking things in this society. And I think when things run viral like that and people are interested in Judge Frank Caprio, it's a reason. There's a difference in this man and a level of integrity and compassion and caring. Uh, the country has forsaken that. Uh, in most in most all walks of life, you find people simply not caring. Not so with this judge. And again, we're hoping to have him next week uh, to share his story uh, and what brought him to that point. Uh, we will definitely, if we can't get him, we'll have more clips of what he's doing, making a big difference. Right now, we did have a situation with a judge uh, that actually went and spent the night in jail with a young man. He directly sentenced. Uh, let's play that clip and hear that story. Sometimes the best way to help someone who has fallen into a hole is not to throw them a rope, but to climb in. Steve Harpin learned this on the road. Inside the county courthouse in Fayetteville, North Carolina, Judge Lou Oliveira made headlines with an unusual decision. You may be seated. A few years ago, Joe Cerna was arrested for drunk driving. As part of his probation, he wasn't allowed to drink. So when he lied about a recent urine test, the judge felt he had no choice. I gave Joe a night in jail because he had to be held accountable. It was just one night. But as he entered the cell, Joe says he knew it would be one of the longest nights of his life. When I walked into the jail cell and they closed the door behind me, I started feeling this um, anxiety. It came back. It came back. Flashback. Retired Army Sergeant First Class Joe Cerna did three tours in Afghanistan and has two Purple Hearts to show for it. The Green Beret survived an IED and a suicide bomber. But he says his scariest moment was the night he was riding in a truck with three other soldiers. What happened? We were, we were following the, the creek and uh, the road gave way. And uh, the vehicle went into the creek. Truck started filling with water? Yeah. All hope was lost. Trapped and unable to move, Joe felt the water rising past his legs, then waist, and neck, until finally it stopped at his chin. How many guys got out of that truck? Alive? Yeah. Just me. I was a sole survivor. Joe says it still haunts him. For suffering PTSD. Among his issues? a fear of being in small, cramped places. I knew what Joe was going through, and I knew Joe's history, and he had to be held accountable, but I just felt I had to go with him. I felt I had to go with him. And so, a few minutes after Joe was locked up, Judge Lou Oliveira surprised the man he sent to jail by joining for the entire night. We ate meatloaf, and uh, we talked about a lot of things. We talked about our families. And the walls got further apart. The walls just got, they, they, they didn't exist anymore. He brought me back to North Carolina from being in a truck in Afghanistan. That meant so much to me, sir. This week, Joe promised the judge no more mess-ups. I don't want to let you down, ever. Not how law and order usually works. But sometimes jail is not what a man needs. Sometimes the best sentence is compassion. Thank you for breathing me. Steve Hartman, On the Road.
in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And compassion heals. Well, there you have it. Uh, very heart-wrenching there. Uh, you don't see it. Those are stories that are not reported all the time because they are rarely done. Almost brought me to tears there. The judge had a job to hold this man accountable, but to go down to the jail, knowing his struggle, and said, I'm going to spend the night in jail with you to make it just a little bit easier. Your thoughts, Kendrick, on that? I think of that and say, you know what? I could not imagine Judge Arguello even giving you a glass of water. She would, I mean, you see some judges like you couldn't even see an ounce of compassion. And you see these judges and why they make news is because they're rare, not because it's it happens. Off, yeah, that's the problem is why is it so rare that people believe a judge should be compassionate? Because you know that when you get in front of them, they think their job is to be hard and show no emotion. And, you know, and if I get the opportunity to throw the book at you, that's a shame. And that's kind of a backward approach to how the whole system of this government was supposed to be set up so that the law was supposed to be fair and judge between the government and the people. But that's not the case. Dave, go ahead. Well, one of the things that impresses me here is you see these judges are seeing the human being in front of them, not just the defendant. Because so many judges, and Judge Arguello is one of them, she sees the defendant in front of them. They're not even human. I can do whatever I want to them. You see these judges here are seeing the human being in front of them and the result of their actions on that human being. Well, I promise you that the gentleman, the veteran, if you will, um, can never be the same from that. In his mind, his interaction with the system was compassion because a judge does not take his robe off and check in at county jail because he's concerned about what you're going to go through. Not only that, what you've given this country. That's a big, big deal. Uh, Dennis, as a, as, a, as a veteran, something that, I mean, what this man was going through, what he was struggling with, um, how do you identify with that? That's, that's huge because most of, most of the time, I mean, we, we as the military, when we get in trouble and we know we did something wrong, we don't expect uh, compassion. We expect, you know, discipline. That's the way we were brought up. But when you see a judge show compassion like that, I can only imagine how it made that feel, made that soldier feel. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, Samson, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, when you, when you like Dave was kind of alluding to, um, these judges don't just see the, the crime. They don't see a defendant. They see a human being. They see the surrounding um, situations that are involved. And, I mean, even this last judge, he said, yeah, I have to put this man in jail for at least a night. But... I'm going to get in there with you because I know what you've been through. I know, you know, your history. I know that you have, you know, he has PTSD. He cannot get into a small space without freaking out, you know. And as somebody that's been through that as well, you know, I can understand what it's like to have to go through something like that alone. But also, 
the, just the simple action, just being there with him, talking to him. He said, he's like, he brought me from this place in, a, you know, in an appointment zone back to his home state. And that, like, he will ne- that veteran will never forget that, period. Well, I think we need to recognize, and as you look in a broad uh, view of the system, that it is in the stigma of a somebody who breaks the law sometimes is almost dehumanized uh, in many ways, whether you, you're going to court as the accused or you're coming out of prison as the convicted, society as a whole, in many instances, you are literally dehumanized. Uh, and I think that's an important uh, point to make that uh, if if judges, prosecutors don't remember that, that these are human beings just like you with the system, that, 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 that's where the, the underlying problem lies. No, absolutely right. Clint, last statement. Yeah, uh, this has been a really, that's a really heartwarming situation right there. Just it's been the night. But I tell you what, um, so much of the situation across the country where you see thousands of judges uh, complained about and then their names not even given to the public uh, for the people, there must be an outcry for from the public this is not acceptable and we must have a process otherwise there's no more respect for the law absolutely right ladies and gentlemen this is kickoff season for ajc radio tonight uh we are going to be doing uh, some shows here in the future dealing with the system and judges that's going to be coming up we will be unrolling or rolling back rather the pages of christina guayo federal judge uh, we're going to be dealing with her next week, some of the outrageous stuff that has happened. And we will always try to mix in the good with it. Where's the good? If one can do good, the other can do good. But we have a choice to make. Judges have choices to make. Uh, we appreciate you joining us tonight. Tell your friends, everybody that you know, that AJC Radio is back after our winter break, our, our regular winter break. Uh, we're back and in full force. And AJC Radio, our purpose is to bring the message of justice all around the world. We thank everybody to our guest, Jamie Miller, uh, to uh, the ladies that support her on the Facebook team, Exposing of Judges. Uh, we're going to hear from them some next week as well. Buckle in, folks. We're in for a good season. This is AJC Radio. Till next time, good night. Dallas Judge Tammy Kemp is defending her decision to hug police officer Amber Geiger after she was sentenced to 10 years in prison for the murder of Botham Jean. This was the moment Kemp offered Geiger the hug after Jean's brother had done the same thing. Now, Kemp says Geiger twice asked for a hug and that she could not refuse. She spoke with our Dallas Fort Worth station, KTVT, and she said her faith guided her actions. She will forever be the murderer of Botham Jean. How she carries that thus forward depends on how we receive her. And as a Christian, I believe I'm commanded to offer her love and compassion. So here with more is public public safety and police department reporter for the Dallas Morning News, Cassandra Jaramillo. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, Cassandra. So how has the city of Dallas responded to the judge hugging Geiger? We know sort of the conversation that erupted nationwide, but 
In Dallas, I'm wondering how they took it. We saw Dallas Police Chief Yu Renee Hall take that moment of uh, mercy from Botham John's little brother, uh, Brant, as uh, you know, a, a, an example of uh, you know how the city should also deal with this trial and some of the tension that's come out of it. Now, with Judge Kemp, you know, it, it's extremely unusual, and I would say never happens that a judge hugs a convicted felon, um, but Chief Hall also expressed some admiration for those actions, again, reiterating the, the sentiments of, of forgiveness and mercy in um, what was a very emotional and, and tense trial. You know, um, one of the, the uh, criticisms of the judge's actions uh, has been from groups that are opposed to seeing any kind of, of, of mixing between the church and the state. They believe that yes. there should be a separation of church and state. And the fact that the judge, um, and this has nothing to do with the compassion argument or the one where you see someone as a human being and you want to reach out to them. What some groups are saying is, look, uh, just legally the way our country, uh, based on the Constitution, is, uh, is set up, you should not have any d displays of religion and in this particular case they are saying these groups are saying uh, that judge sort of broke that standard that's correct we did see uh, a group submit a complaint against judge Kemp um, about this you know the the action of bringing a Bible into court and and giving it to Geiger we will continue to follow the, the results of that complaint and where it goes but at least locally you know we did see that the city officials uh, very limited uh, crit critiques of the judge's actions um, and more so just an example of forgiveness and mercy. Can I ask you also, um, uh, Sassandra, the, the sort of what we led with, which is how people in Dallas are feeling because as you know, this controversy, I guess if you want to call it that, um, had people really divided uh, in social media and yeah. you saw in a lot of think pieces on, you know, one hand, for example, I'm going to read a tweet from Bree Newsom. She's a filmmaker and activist. She has been tweeting a lot about this. You recall she was the one who removed that Confederate flag um, from that statue uh, was how she became uh, known uh, across the country. She wrote this, the white gaze fixation with black people forgiving racial violence from court cases to many Hollywood movie plots is about the redemption of white supremacy in popular culture and imagination. It does not translate to empathy for how racism kills black people. On the flip side of that, you had people like the actor Chris Evans, when he saw that moment when uh, uh, um, Botham Jones' brother hugged Amber Geiger, mm -hmm. he said it was one of the most beautiful things he'd ever seen. So I'm just curious, you've, you've seen this national debate around this issue. What are people in Dallas mm -hmm. specifically saying? So we saw on uh, Friday, if I'm not mistaken, a press conference with some of the faith-based leaders here in Dallas and some community activists, um, along with the Jean family, come out and, and talk about this. And still, you know, um, some reporters were, were wanting to get Brandt's reaction to the attention that this hug got, right? And the message there out of that, that group of folks was, Listen, you know, we, we can recognize forgiveness, but it doesn't separate this mission for justice. And that was the press conference where we saw them, you know, make these calls for an audit of the Dallas Police Department as the trial revealed, you know, some incidents that, that brought a lot of scrutiny. And so we saw those community leaders and the Jean family say, let's you know keep keep the energy going on some of the the changes and the reforms that we want to see the police department 
and not say stay so fixated on this hug. We're past that at this point. We want to see some action. And that's something that I wanted to ask you about after we learned that uh, Joshua Brown, a key witness in this case, was gunned down. Mm. Um, and you know there have been other stories floating around about other witnesses who um, who lost their jobs um, because they had come forward with video. I I'm just wondering what the relationship is now uh, between the community and the Dallas police force is their suspicion because I know that you know when I saw that headline about a key witness being gunned down you you start to question whether there's more to this or not certainly the timing of the shooting raised a lot of, of questions and speculations and also some of the misinformation about how uh, Mr. Brown was shot you know initially there were some rumors that he was shot in the mouth mm -hmm. and so you know people people had some strong reaction to that because what it insinuates but we now know through reporting at the Dallas Morning News that Mr. Brown was not shot in the mouth that is um, patently false mm -hmm. um, according to a, a medical examiner report he was shot in the back and the thigh um, is what we've heard to you know, the two um, gunshot wounds that he's had um, but certainly you know the the timing of his death is, is either it's a, a, a tragic coincidence or just you know raising a lot of um, concerns within the community and I think it just points to the continuance of the Dallas Police Department trying to to build its trust with um, communities of color here. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's just, um, I, I think that if anything, this has certainly brought uh, some of the issues that have faced this country for many, many years yeah. uh, to sharp focus. And so thank you, Cassandra, for shedding light on it. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me.